Ahoy, it's your boy, and welcome to episode 97 of the podcast, This Is M, which you can subscribe to on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Everywhere you find good podcasts, you'll find this one. Take a minute, rate and review us. Give us five stars, type a couple sentences about why you like the podcast and why others will also, and if you can think of one person in your life who you think would like the show, send them your favorite episode. Also, the video podcast, which we've been having a very difficult time with recently, is now available on YouTube. Uh, you can uh, go to our website at thisismpod.com. That's thisismpod.com. You'll see the, uh, the, 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 the you'll see the latest episode posted there, which you can stream on our website or click through, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and all that good stuff. Um, you know, we got the video figured out finally. I've been filming on a iPhone now, my new iPhone, which I uh, see is up and running now. And uh, we've been having a crazy time with the video. Uh, we're shooting in HDR, bigger file sizes, bigger, longer render times, all that sort of stuff. And of course, I've just been having a litany of computer problems since upgrading to a new operating system to accommodate this fucking phone. Um, so it's it's not easy. We did get the video up last week. It looks f- fine. It looks as good as it's going to look. I mean, it looks really good, I think. But, um, you know, the problem is that last week, and I think I mentioned this a couple times, I wasn't sure if the audio was was recording or not. And lo and behold, it was not. So if you tuned in last week and was like, wow, the audio sounds especially shitty, it's because I had to use the iPhone audio. So this week, I'm looking over, I see the audio is recording, I know the video is recording, so I'm not saying there's not something that I'm missing that will make this another kind of disappointing week. I was going to say nightmare, but that's really hyperbolic, isn't it? So there may be something else wrong that I haven't determined, but I think we have everything figured out. And so, again, this is what you get when you've been doing 94 episodes one way, and you decide in the last, you know month and a half or whatever of episodes to start recording with a new camera or change up your workflow, it's only going to fucking complicate things. So unfortunately, there's been a bit of a blemish on our publishing, um, whatever, timeliness, at least in terms of the video and the audio quality here at the very end. But you know what? It's okay. It is what it is. It's all a learning experience. And uh, I think I intimated, if that's even the right word, you know, that I'm not quite sure... I'm feeling a little ambivalent about continuing past 100 episodes, but if we did, I think we'd have a new uh, audio-video workflow. But um, to that point, episode 97, really just a few more weeks before the end here. And um, I'll probably, uh, I, 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 I won't try to ruminate on it too much. I'll, I'll probably have a, a lot to say at the very end uh, of episode 100, I guess, about what this experience has been like and what my plans are moving forward etc. Um, I think where things stand now is I have one more week left of Chinese for the summer, and then I have one week off, really a week and a half, before I start the fall semester, so not much of a, vac- of a, va- of a, va- not much of a vacation. Uh, already feeling a little burnout with school. Um, it's sort of funny, I actually cut my time at work uh, to make more room for school, not only in the summer, which has been uh, really difficult to manage, but, uh, for the fall. So still working, you know, I think about 30 hours a week, which is, uh, not a little bit. Um, but it was sort of funny. I had a test on Friday 
uh, this is my second week having cut my hours, and the highest I can get, there's still more to be graded on it, the, high, the, the highest I can get on this test is an 89, which will be my lowest test score of this term, which I thought, isn't it fucking crazy that I, I have more time, and I pref- this is like my worst performance of the second summer session so far, so I don't know what that means. I felt more confident, but again, as I was taking this test in particular, it was just like... You know, again, not a nightmare, but it was just not how you want to feel during a test. It felt like there was too much to do. I was going to run out of time. Everything was just kind of confusing and um, didn't feel great about it. But, you know, I also don't feel too bad about it afterwards. I know that my grade is in good standing. And uh, I think, uh, you know, provided I do everything else well, which I should do, I think I would really have to maybe get like a zero on the last test to not get an A in the class. So uh, it's a great way to start at this new school. And we'll see. We'll see how the fall semester goes. Of course, I'm continuing Chinese. I'm also going to be taking a comparative literature class, and I'm also going to be taking Shakespeare. Uh, So you know your boy's going to be talking about Shakespeare if we keep the uh, podcast going. And actually, one play I keep coming back to over and over again in our conversation since we started this fucking podcast, someone should really go back and see when I mention this play first. It it could be as far back as two years ago, but uh, I think we're reading Coriolanus this semester. So, um, you know, maybe I'll have uh, new new insights into that that play, which I think is one of uh, a play that's often overlooked by Shakespeare. Um, What else happened this week? Oh, I had, um, last week I was talking about all the dental work that I have to have done, and that started uh, yesterday, actually. I went to the dentist and had about two and a half hours worth of work done. They had to uh, do, I had a filling, and I also had to get a crown put on. So I don't know how many of my listeners have had that done. But basically, when you have a cavity that's bad enough, they have to like salvage the tooth by, you know, imagine like a like a knot in a piece of wood. They have to cut out the part of the tooth that has the cavity, and assuming the cavity hasn't gone down to the nerve. They can just file away the tooth and put a crown on top of it, basically a fake tooth on top of the uh, shaven down one. They shave your real tooth down to kind of like a nub, and they stick a fake tooth on top of it. And uh, it's kind of fascinating, actually. Um, a couple things. I, I When I went in, I was very nervous. At the, I, I didn't know how painful it was going to be, if at all. And when I was a kid... I saw this movie. Uh, I don't know how many of my listeners remember this, but there's a uh, before like Netflix and all that shit. When you had a uh, even after cable, there was a Direct TV, which was like satellite television, and it was like the thing. You had a shit ton of um, channels, and there was this movie that I remember renting called The Dentist. And I also I feel like there was like some softcore like element to this movie, so um, I think that was very salacious for me as a young as a young lad. But the thrust is basically like a dentist who finds out that his wife is cheating on him. This is kind of like the early like horror, gore, porn kind of thing. But it was like this dentist who like wreaked havoc on people or like got his revenge by like torturing his patients. And I don't remember how it played out exactly. But you can just imagine if you have any aversion at all to dentistry or, you know, I forget what the term is, but there's even like a, a fear of medical equipment. You can imagine these, you know, the, the mouth is nothing but soft tissue. And, uh, you know, the mind reels when you think about all the travesties that could go wrong or like one slip of the 
dentist drill and you have, you know, a drill going into the soft tissue of your gums or something like that. Um, so I'm not really like pain averse or doctor averse or anything like that, but I was like, I, I don't know. I was nervous going into the appointment and, uh, uh, it's very close to my house. I ended up walking up there. I was right on time. Of course you have to sign some liability stuff and, uh, you go in and they sort of prep you and, um, I was sitting there and this dentist is very unique. He doesn't have exceptionally good, uh, I don't know if bedside manner is the right word for dentists, but I think this is true of a lot of medical professionals, which is, you know, most people who go into the field, I don't think they really are like people centered. I don't think that they love working with individuals. They're usually science minded. And I think, to be honest, I think a lot of them want to make good money. And so they have a general interest in the field and the practice, but they don't really like patients that much. They don't like the human interaction or the human element as much. Um, they're more scholastic and, and science-minded, et cetera. Um, and so in some ways, if, if they could just not converse with you, I think that would probably be their preference. Um, so the dentist is like, he, he tries very hard, but it, it's not like he's a, a very good people person as much as I think he's read a little bit about patient interaction and how that should go. But he, you know, he asks questions like, do you have, or he, like he asks me many times, like, do you have any questions about what we're going to do? But I, you can tell he has no interest. It's, it's, it's like he's wanting me to say no. And so I don't uh, have any questions, but we move forward anyway. But it was uh, pretty interesting. At one point when he's numbing my mouth, he says, now, th- if anything's going to be painful today, this will be it. And I was like, Okay. So he's like, I'm basically going to give you a series of shots in your mouth and uh, you're going to feel a little bit of pressure, but I'm going to go slow and and I'll make it as easy as possible for you. And I was like, okay. And uh, so he, uh, you know what? I'm sort of freaking out here. I'll probably cut this part out, but my screen has gone dark, which is not, it's not supposed to do that. I'm actually going to make sure that the audio is working. Okay. So just give me one second. I'll double check. Okay. It appears to be working. Sorry about that. I just don't want to have the same thing last week where I finished an episode and I realized the audio is not even recorded. Um, I feel like you guys deserve better than that. But uh, basically, he's about to put the um, anesthesia, that's the word in my mouth, and uh, he says it's going to be very painful, and he uh, tries to prepare me for it, and uh, I don't feel anything. You know, he's like, well, here it comes. This part, you're going to feel a lot of pressure here. And I didn't feel absolutely anything. And at the end, he goes, "Was that? how was that for you? And I was like, I didn't feel any of what you just did. And he was like, okay. Um, and, and so they leave me for like 20 minutes or maybe 10 or 15 minutes, I don't know, to let the Novocaine work. And at first I was like, I don't think this is working. You know, I didn't feel any sort of numbness. After about 10 minutes, the entire right side of my face was completely numb. I, my nose was numb. The entire, my, my entire jaw, my half of my, my right, the right side of my tongue. It was very bizarre. And when I told him, I said, he's like, how does that work? And you, you're starting to numb up. I said, yeah, I don't feel anything. Actually, my nose is numb. And he was like, oh, okay. He's like, yeah, your eye might start to twitch as well. And I was like, holy shit, man. It's like getting hit with an elephant uh, dart or something like that. But uh, they ended up working on me for like an hour and a half. And uh, I can't see shit of what's going on. So I'm trying to imagine at every stage what they're doing. It's like I feel the drill. I feel the grinding. And I think, oh, my, my tooth must be done. And then it's like, okay, well, we got the filling. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, I didn't even know where they were at in the process. And um, it ends up taking like an hour and a half. And uh, 
you know, it was, uh, I don't know, just kind of, uh, you know, it's funny. I was actually trying to tell my girlfriend about this, which is, um, I had not been at the dentist much longer than she, and she hasn't been at the dentist in a while, but she hadn't been for a long time. And I was saying, you know, it's been pretty shitty to go and like get a verdict of like, oh yeah, your mouth's pretty fucked up and you're kind of embarrassed about that. But I actually feel better just kind of knowing, you know, not going to the dentist for years and assuming correctly that there were probably some problems with my mouth. I didn't go for so long because I was trying to avoid the knowing, you know, like I imagine for people who like their finances are just a complete disarray. And it's like they don't want to go to a financial advisor, even though it would that would be the beginning of them getting their financial life in order. And by the way, you know, whether it's going to the dentist or going to a financial advisor or the doctor or whatever it is. On some level, I think we all understand it doesn't matter what your situation is. It's not going to be the worst he's ever seen or the worst she has ever seen or the worst they have ever seen. Um you know, there are dentists who do like free dental work for people who've been living on the street for the last 30 years. Your, your mouth is not going to be in as bad a shape as that person's. You may have some cavities, you may need a root canal, you may need a crown like I did, but you're not, you know, it's not like they have to replace your whole jaw. Same thing with finances. It's like, I don't, you know, unless you're like, um, there's actually this great movie that I don't think a lot of people have seen with the late Philip Seymour Hoffman called Owning Mahoney about a guy who, you know, umpteen counts of, like, bank fraud in Canada to fund his uh, gambling addiction in, Atl- in Atlantic City. It's like people live lives that are just completely, you know, for most of us, we live with the guilt of, like, not going to the dentist for a number of years or uh, not really understanding our finances, and that weighs on us. But you have to realize there are people in this world, not a few of them, who live, like, flagrantly morally bankrupt lives with kind of reckless abandon, you know? And, uh, so, you know, there are people who dedicate their lives to like observing these people and putting them under scrutiny. Like we don't need to crucify ourselves for the things that most of us are living with. Um, so anyway, that's sort of a bloviating way of saying, you know, going to the dentist and being told that your mouth wasn't, was not in good shape, was not fun. But it's certainly not the worst it's ever been. I'm not even particularly uncomfortable about it. You know, it's not like I've been living with pain in my mouth for the last X number of years. It was a non-issue for me personally. Um, Most of the stuff is just preventative. And uh, knowing now, even though it's, you know, a lot of time at the dentist's office and a little bit of money, honestly, um, you know, knowing what it is and actually getting the work done is actually a relief. So spending it, burning an afternoon at the dentist's office, getting a crown put on is not, it's not fun. It's not, you know, and, and I actually have to go back here in a couple of weeks and get the temporary crown replaced with the permanent crown. You know, that's not fun necessarily, but it actually has been nice just kind of knowing what it is. And even though I'm in the dentist's office and kind of seeing them work, it is nice to be working toward getting it fixed. Does that make sense? You know, it's like it sucks getting out of shape and working out is not fun in and of itself, but it's exponentially better than like when you're just not exercising, knowing that your health is going to shit and you're not doing anything about it. That's the real shitty part. And it's sad because it's so easy to slide back into that place where we look at our life and like we just tolerate the 
the misery of being in that that sort of limbo place of like knowing that things suck, but not being in a place where we feel like we can do anything about it. You know what I mean? And so I'm not I'm not trying to be dismissive when I say this. I mean, I I feel like I have dealt with that in so many areas of my life all the time in nearly every aspect of my life, whether it's my health, uh, my dentistry, <laughs> um, financial, romantic, personal, uh, emotional, you know? Like, this is going to sound nuts, like it's not going to make any sense. Let's see if I, let's see if this will make sense. But um, uh, I've never been a Howard Stern fan. Um, but for some reason, YouTube has been spitting, like, uh, Howard Stern videos up at me. And because they play in the background, it keeps showing me more. I heard this thing. There's a very famous Howard Stern character. You know, Howard Stern had a whole, there's a bunch of satellite people, Artie Lang, a bunch of people that just sort of orbit the Howard Stern show that you might have heard of. One of them is Beetlejuice. And, uh... I don't know if he had dwarfism or I don't know what it was, but um, a diminutive gentleman, uh, very unique looking, uh, who I think probably was an alcoholic or something. I think he passed away, actually. Um, I'd be, I'd, be, I'd, be, I'd feel kind of weird if he was still living. I think he, I think he's passed away, but um, they show his like first appearance. You know, he went on to have like umpteen appearances on the Howard Stern show. But there was this uh, side story. When he originally came in, he came in with this other gentleman who was clearly an alcoholic who had dwarfism also, who was dating this like former stripper, and she was upset because he cheated on her, and there was all sorts of stuff. But I think my mind kind of went down this lane of like, oh, my life isn't that bad, you know? By thinking, you know, there are some people who live their lives in, in ways which are objectively miserable, you know? And... uh it's just funny that I treat myself like, you know, that my life is like a nightmare all the time when uh, objectively it just isn't. Um, where am I trying to go with all this? I don't know. I'm kind of talking abstractly. Maybe I should just stay concrete. But um, yeah, I was saying there's something about with dentistry or whatever, the, the not knowing, it feels like a comfort in the moment, but it never, it, it, but it, of course it's such a relief when you know exactly what's going on and you're doing the thing that it takes to fix it. Not even having the issue behind you, just knowing that you're doing something about it is actually a relief. It gives you kind of a renewed sense of purpose. <laughs> Says the guy who I actually, like I've barely worked out in the last two weeks. I feel like just as recently as a few weeks ago, I was talking about, yeah, you know, things are good. I'm down a bunch of weight. And uh, in the last two weeks, I haven't worked out much at all. So um, maybe this is more like a personal pep talk for me to get shit, uh, get shit going again. It's kind of lame, too, like especially going back to school. Like there is a part of me that feels like I'm back in middle school. Like I just made a list. You know, I have a one week less one week left of summer school. I have a week and a half off before I have to return to school, and there's still plenty of things that I have to do, or I feel like I have to do before school starts, which is I need to buy new clothes. It just is the case. If you're watching this podcast, you know your boy wears the same shirt every week. Now, it's not actually the same shirt. I have you know, dozens and dozens of these shirts. These are like my merch shirts that I took on tour um, that I just have a ton left over from. So I have about six that I have in rotation. Just because I, the reason I got this shirt printed is because it's the most comfortable shirt I've ever worn. I had another band's t-shirt printed on this exact same uh, shirt from American Apparel 
So when it came time to make my own shirts, I said, I'm going to print it on that shirt. Um, because first of all, t-shirts are way overpriced anyway. Like when you go see a band live and you buy a t-shirt, it's the most uncomfortable thing you've ever felt in your life. And it costs, you know, who knows how much money. Um, so I thought if I'm going to charge people that much money for a t-shirt, I want to make sure it's something they're going to wear. One, it's just good for them. I want them to feel like they got their money's worth, but also they're going to wear it. You know, how often do you buy these t-shirts and you just fucking put them in your closet and you never wear them? So, um, I wanted to, uh, circumvent that, but it also means that I have a fucking, uh, like everybody has the same like target tub. You know what I mean? It's like a plastic bin. It's like black with like a yellow lid. I have like three of those and one of them is just full of t-shirts. But anyway, I have a whole tub of them just like full of t-shirts that I'll never fucking sell. So, uh, hell, if you want a t-shirt, shoot me an email. Let me know. This is mpod at gmail.com. Let me know. And I, I probably won't cause it's expensive to, to send t-shirts to people. But if you want one, you want to buy one, let me know. Uh, let me know your size. I'll see if I have it. Um, what the fuck am I talking about? Oh, I need to get new clothes for school. And I also need to get uh, a bike. Your boy lives about 45 minute walk away from school. And, uh, that's not really going to fly. You know, I think of my morning classes at nine 30. I don't really see myself walking out the door at eight 30 or spending two hours a day just commuting to and from school. So I think I got to get a bike and, uh, a backpack. Actually, I hope it's actually not framed. That would be shitty if it was, but to my left, I'll show it to you. Actually, it's kind of cool that it's right here. I've had this same backpack and I'm probably all in shadow now, but I've had this same backpack for the last, I've had it since I was 17. I'm 36 now. So you do the math. This was given to me by my buddy, Jason. Uh, I don't know why he gave it to me. But basically, this bag has been with me every day of my life, essentially, since that time. I, I took it around the country. I've taken it to different countries. I've taken it to Africa. I've taken it to Dubai. I've taken it to Amsterdam. I, every tour I've ever gone on, every place I've ever traveled, this backpack has gone with me. And every time my brother sees it, he just wants me to throw it away because it's fucking, it's a piece of shit. It's, 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 it's from The Gap, which is insane. It's not even a real fucking backpack. It has, you see it has this pencil holder, which just has a fucking hole in it, and it's just a bag. But look at this. And by the way, you have to be watching the video podcast for this, but this is the bottom of the bag, and it's just got a big fucking hole in it. You can see me putting my hand through it. It's a big fucking hole in it. Every time I have things in there, it just pokes out the side. I can't put small things in it because they fall out. I've lost things. But it's just, I, this is the type of person I am. I'm just, I get married to items in my life and I never fucking replace them. Even though I can certainly buy a new backpack anytime, I just don't. You know, I feel sad retiring this thing. My brother says he wants to fucking set it on fire every time he sees it. But, um, you know, I feel like starting a new chapter at school, I have to uh, get a new backpack. Or maybe I don't, man. Maybe I just keep living with this one. And say, fuck it. You know, maybe there's nothing wrong with that. Although it just, I mean, I don't know. It's, it really is at the place where it's just like not practical to have it anymore. So, oh, so many new things in my life. Starting in a new school. Podcast coming to an end. A lot of new stuff.
I also, uh, um, yeah, so went to the dentist yesterday. Uh, that carved into most of my Saturday, which is, it really fucking sucks when you're going to school a lot and you're working a lot. You really just don't have a lot of time to yourself. And anytime you do have time, there's inevitably something else that has to get slotted in there. So it's like, hey, you have to go to the dentist. When can you do it? On your day off. So smack dab in the middle of the time that's supposed to be for you, you have to go to a dentist's office for two and a half hours or whatever. So be that as it may, the only thing I really had time for yesterday was to, um, uh, went back to my girlfriend's place, went to the grocery store, got a turkey, roasted a whole turkey, which is something we've done a few times now. We're trying to get it better and better. And I I feel like we always fuck something up. So not perfect, but, um, also kind of fun to cook that way. And, um, kind of, I don't know, see yourself cooking something you never really saw yourself doing before. And I know a fucking roasting a turkey is not rocket science, but um, when you do it pretty well, it, it feels like an accomplishment. But, uh, you know, didn't do much after that. Watched some of the Olympics, um, which I think are over at this point. But um, woke up today, just spent all day doing homework. But the, the fucking worst part is after this dentist appointment, I have to take ibuprofen, not for pain. It's really just for inflammation. Um, but I, uh, on my way home, I stopped by the gas station to get some ibuprofen and I did something I have only done once in my life before, which is I locked my keys in my car. I went into the store, I got what I need. I came out and as I'm com- you know, as I'm walking out of the store, I'm feeling f- not even in my pocket, just around my leg for where my keys are in my pockets. And I just, the minute I sort of feel around for two seconds, I said, holy fuck, I think I've locked myself out of my truck. And uh, as soon as I walk to the car, I look in, I don't see it right away. I have to walk around to the passenger side and lo and behold, the fucking keys are in the ignition. Thankfully, the car was off. And I was just like, fuck, it's hot today. The last thing I want to do is fucking be locked out of my car. Just one of those things, you know what I mean? Of all the things that you can fucking do. Thankfully, I didn't have to be anywhere. I mean, I guess it could have been a lot worse, but it was just like, motherfuck, man. So I end up like, I'm on my phone. I'm like Googling like Papa Lock or whatever the fuck. Find a service. They call someone, dispatch them out there. The guy was funny. He had some like um, Eastern European ask, a- accent. And uh, if you've never been locked out of your car before, at least for me, both times it's happened. They have like this bladder that they like stick in your door and like pump it up a little bit to like get some separation between the door and the body. And they stick their jimmy in. Either they're going to lasso, you know, depending on the year and make of your car. They're going to try to lasso the knob that goes up and down and try to unlock the door that way. Or they stick this like, you know, basically long finger in and try to hit the uh, automatic door unlock switch or whatever it is. But he couldn't do it. He was just like super fucking frustrated. But sooner rather than later, he gets it popped. Takes off. Of course, it costs like $160. It's a highway robbery, but it's like, what the fuck else are you going to do? Uh, either that or you're going to break your own window, which I wasn't about to do. Um... But, uh, yeah, that was, that was a fucking nightmare, but it did remind me. And if I've told this story before, I apologize, but there's only one other time that I've locked myself out of my car. And that was probably in 2015. I was right in this period of my life where I was like, uh, you know, I, I, touring sounds like a highfalutin word, but I was traveling a lot for music. And I would say about every three or four months, I would just book these um, tourists up and down the coast, usually through California, but you know, sometimes up into Oregon and Washington as well. 
And I would just kind of go back up and down the coast playing shows. And I would book these shows myself. But I had developed a relationship um, with this dude named Steve Key, uh, who was uh, in the Central Coast area. And he would book shows. He had an organization called Songwriters at Play. I'm not sure if they're still operating. <clears throat> but he was doing this. Um, I think most of them were in like San Luis Obispo area, Pismo Beach. I remember playing a couple shows there. Um, but he was booking shows in Santa Barbara and there was this very cool venue there called Soho. And I feel like I ended up playing there a few times, but I do remember, um, actually one, I'm, I get all my dates confused here. I do remember one time there's a really good group called Fairground Saints who I ended up playing with, uh, in Northern California somewhere, but you know, was friendly with them. They seem to be kind of on the bubble. Like, I think they had just got signed to a major label. And I know since then, they've gone to tour and, and play with some pretty cool artists. But they were just really, really nice people. The The main songwriter of that group, Mason, was just very friendly. And I felt kind of endeared to him. And uh, I remember I met up with him and his girlfriend, uh, the girl who's in that group, before uh, a show there one time where we were just sort of talking about what was going on with them. And, and they were just kind of being really friendly with me, kind of sharing their experience about getting signed and all that stuff. Um, I think this was a different time, but I remember I was driving down to play in Santa Barbara. I was playing at this Steve Key songwriters at play show. It was a Bob Dylan tribute show. And I remember, I think a couple weeks later I was playing in San Luis Obispo. So my plan was I had some show posters for the San Luis Obispo show on my way down to Santa Barbara. I was going to stop in San Luis Obispo at the venue and drop off the posters so that they could put them up. And I remember, I think just before San Luis Obispo, I stopped at a road stop, you know, a rest area, whatever, where there's a bathroom, vending, vending machines and all that stuff. And I had locked my keys in the car. And I was like, motherfuck. It was already going to be tight. You know, I was, I was, you know, I left at a time where I could show up like maybe 30 minutes before call time or whatever it was for the Santa Barbara show. Plus I was still planning on stopping at San Luis Obispo. So I think I ended up waiting like an hour for someone in the middle of nowhere in the central coast to like come and pop my lock. Very friendly guy. I actually have a photo of him somewhere around that time. I was taking a lot of instant photographs. So very friendly guy. I had a photo of him or whatever, just so I could remember the moment. And I, I still stop in San Luis Obispo and I drop off the posters and uh, it would actually, it would come back to haunt me later because I handed him to somebody who I could just tell the minute I passed it off to him was like, didn't give a shit. I was like, there was a 75% chance that those posters are going straight in the fucking trash can. But I ended up getting down to Santa Barbara. I played the Bob Dylan tribute show and it was one of the worst shows I've ever played in my life. I think I may have actually told this story now that I'm, I'm telling it, but it's the only time in my life. I played uh, two Dylan songs. One was Mr. Tambourine Man. I can't even think of <laughs> what the other one was. But I'm in the middle of my song, my first song. I just finished the first verse. It's actually a song I end up playing very well. It actually became a staple of my set, playing Mr. Tambourine Man. It's a song I think I happen to do really well. And um, if you've seen me play in the last two years, yeah, I've almost certainly played Mr. Tambourine Man. But um, I'm about to go into the second verse, and I have the nightmare scenario that everybody who's about to start playing shows worries about, or they think will be like the worst-case scenario for a performance which is as I'm opening my mouth for the second verse, I have no idea what words I'm supposed to say. Complete fucking brain freeze. And there's nothing coming. You know? So I give myself on the on the I give myself like an extra measure or two of chords, 
But after a while, I'm just not singing. And it's like, it's, it's apparent that I don't know what the fuck's coming next. And it was like, at the time, I knew it was a fucking horror show. I knew this was like a worst case scenario. And I knew nothing was coming. So you're just kind of stuck on stage. And this fucking guy, thank Christ, he starts feeding me the lyrics in the front row. I, as I think about it, I don't even remember what the second verse was. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was just one of those scenarios where it's your worst nightmare coming to life. And as you're living it, it's not that bad. It was embarrassing and it wasn't fun. And I definitely wanted it to be over as soon as possible. But, uh, it wasn't the, uh, complete travesty that you sort of expect it might be. So, but anyway, the only, the only point of that is that is the only other time that I've uh, locked myself out of my car. Anyway, I don't want to sound fucking nuts, but I, I also see that my screen went dark, so um, I, I just I want to make sure that the audio is still running, so I'm just going to take a quick break, and uh, I'll be back in a second. Yeah. Alright, it appears to be working. Yeah, I'm sorry, I don't mean to, paranoid, uh, to be paranoid, it's just... I don't know, there's something shitty about technology, which is it never really works the way it's supposed to. This may be more behind the scenes than you even fucking care, but I have a big t- I have a big timer on the computer screen now. I thought I gotta make sure the audio is going, and with this new setup, I can't really see how long I've been recording for. So I downloaded this app where it's like a huge timer on your computer screen, and it's supposed to be set up so the computer doesn't go to sleep. That's just the thing that you see. So every time I look over there, I just have a prompt about how long I've been going for. And uh, of course, the computer's fucking going to sleep. So nothing ever works the way it's supposed to. That's cool. But that's okay. I kind of needed a break anyway. Ironically, like the time I was on stage where I was, you know, I knew it was time to sing and I didn't know what the lyrics are. I hear myself coming to the end of a story and I have no idea what the fuck I'm going to talk about. In some ways, I thought I was going to have a shit ton to talk about because my therapist is out of town for two weeks, so I figured... This was going to be the space I had to sort of vent about everything I've been going through. But, um, you know, I don't really feel like I had much tap today, honestly. For some reason, the thing I'm thinking about right now is the Olympics. Um, I think uh, I think the crazy part for me about the Olympics is uh, how young some of the people are. I mean, as you grow up, you know, even like 18-year-olds, when you're like a kid, if you're 13, like even 18-year-olds look like full-fledged adults. It's just insane to be 36, and most of the people competing are, like, a decade younger than you. And you're like, holy shit. First of all, nobody, I mean, people don't look that young. Or, to, to put it more clearly, they they do look that young, but it's really wild to realize that you're not as young as you think you are. Do you know what I mean? Like, when you see a 36-year-old... You're like, oh shit, that looks like a 48-year-old. Like, that's how you're wired. Or at least me, anyway. That's how I'm wired. It's insane to think, oh no, that's you, man. Like, you're if you're watching this video podcast right now, to take a good look. This is 36. Now, maybe you were looking at me and you thought, oh, I thought that dude was 45. I think the weird part, too, is as you get older, it's really hard to calibrate how old people perceive you to be. Because I don't know if people are being friendly, but I do get told that, oh, I thought you were much younger than that. 
Now, I feel vulnerable saying that because you're probably watching this and you're, you know, you very well might be thinking that I look old as fuck. But I would also, it also depends on how old you are, I would say. But, um, yeah, this is just a very uncomfortable way of talking about, yeah, getting older is weird. And vulnerable in a way that, not the way you think it would be. And that I know people who are truly vain. Like, it really is a, it's a vanity issue for them. And although... I'm not vain. I'm, I mean, I'm very insecure about my physical appearance. But it's usually not the things that I see other people being concerned about. You know, I've been bald for a long, long time, and that's never bothered me. I've never felt insecure about losing my hair. But I think, I think what's coming up for me is I'm thinking about the Olympics and people's youth it's not, how do I say it? Like when I work on, uh, in my job, I work with a lot of trainees and many of the trainees are younger than me. And actually, oh, this is actually fortuitous. I was speak. uh, I, I actually heard, I, I was working with a trainee recently who I had to stop working with because of my, uh, a change in my schedule. But that person reached out to me recently and we were just kind of being friendly and saying, oh, it's, you know, miss seeing you and miss our conversations. We would have these great conversations, you know, and I would, it would, it would actually get in the way of our training because I enjoyed speaking with this young man so much. You know, we would talk about life and whatever. And, and it was just kind of a nice thing as you get older where you feel like you can impart some wisdom, hopefully not in a patronizing way, but in a, I don't know. I just felt like we would vibe on these conversations and I enjoyed speaking with this person. So, but he told me, he said, oh, I found your podcast. (laughs) And I was like, that's fucking incredibly vulnerable to hear. Because uh, even as I'm saying that, I'm thinking, uh, I'm I'm not convinced that he was so enthralled with the episode that he heard that he is at all interested in hearing other ones. But it's just a crazy reminder that people actually listen to this thing. You know, it's vulnerable for a number of reasons. One, I say things on this podcast that I don't think are appropriate (laughs) for, for the workplace. And so it feels weird that you present yourself in one way in one space and you think and feel, you know, a litany of other things that you just don't share with those people. Um, so you, it's kind of scary to think that people will hear you say things or express opinions or parts of yourself that like, they may not even tell you that they're aware that they've heard of you, but color their experience of you. Um, so that's very vulnerable. Um, but also, you know, not really having, I was going to say the time or the space to focus on other creative projects. Part of it is really the interest as well. Like, you know, I, I, know, I don't really think in terms of songs anymore. Like just pure songwriting is not really, uh, I don't know, that my, my creativity is not there anymore. This has been my creative outlet. This has been where I sort of show up and say whatever's, whatever's on my mind and express myself, for lack of a better word. Um, it feels very vulnerable sharing that with other people. And I think I'm getting away from my point here, but I'm just following my thoughts, which is, it also brings up something for me, which I think other creative, not all creative people wrestle with, which is when you do something, I don't know if people actually feel this way, but I, I feel like you should want people to see it. You know, like if you create a piece of art, you want, people to see it. You know, you should be proud of it. Of course, I want people to find this podcast or my music or whatever, and I want them to like it, but I don't want it to be anyone that I know, you know? I think part of that is practical. I think as you get older, you realize that your friends and your family and all that, they're not your audience, and they shouldn't be. 
right? If, if the only people listening to your art are your friends and family, you're, you're not building an audience. So I think part of that is just being practical. You know, you, your audience needs to be people that don't know you. That's the only way you're going to like really reach people. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's something weird about like not wanting people that you know to hear your work. Anyway, let me see if I can get back to what I was originally talking about, but I was talking about working with this young man. Um, I can't remember what point I was driving at specifically, except I know that this person is younger than me. And there were just many times where I was speaking with this person where I was like, holy shit, this dude's from like another fucking galaxy in terms of age. You know, when you're around 30, you start to realize that there's a younger generation who knows shit and is into stuff that you don't, one, get a fucking flying fuck about, but also that you don't know anything about. And you're like, you really do begin to feel that wedge where like you talk about shit they have no idea what you're talking about or the things that you do talk about are like some old person shit that they faintly have heard about but have no real knowledge of. It's the same shit that happens when you're a kid where old older people are talking about the assassination of MLK or JFK or Watergate or shit that you didn't live through but you heard of and you go, oh yeah, yeah, that thing that was way back then. Well, of course, people start feeling and thinking that way about shit that you lived through that was formative and, and important and all that sort of stuff. And they go, oh yeah, that thing in the history books? And you're like, wow. You know, things like O.J. Simpson, Michael Jackson, Timothy McVeigh, the fucking Menendez brothers, man. I saw some shit, I can't remember what it was, but there was like some young pop stars where they showed them a picture of the Menendez brothers and they were like, do you know who this is? And they were like, oh, that's um, that's the... Mendez brothers. And you're like, no man, Menendez. They killed their fucking parents. Anyway, that was like front page news for months and months and months and months and months. You know? In some ways, it's actually like when I was at the dentist's office, of course the dentist always has like like really shitty radio stations playing. It's all like, um, it's kind of like bargain bin radio, which would be a great title for this episode, but it's like bargain bin radio where it's not any one genre. It's just all the shit that nobody listens to that they need to move. So it's like when you look through the bargain bin, it's like Britney Spears and NSYNC, but it's also like Led Zeppelin, like Walmart specific Led Zeppelin box sets or whatever the fuck. And like Barry Manilow and just all the bargain bin CDs are just thrown into one thing and you can get them all for like 99 cents each. That's what the radio was. It was like Who's that fucking Samoan dude who who sings somewhere over the rainbow on the fucking ukulele? You know, you know that that very famous cover song that your mom loves. That song was fucking playing, and then it went to literally Led Zeppelin. And it was just so funny because I'm sitting there while some dentist, this uh, uh, tepidly warm and familiar dentist, was like grinding away at my teeth, and I'm hearing the. Uh, uh, morbidly obese Samoan uh, uh, singing the uh, Somewhere Over the Rainbow uh, and it was a medley too of like What a Wonderful World and Somewhere Over the Rainbow on the ukulele and then it goes to, to Zeppelin and I thought dude isn't life fucking crazy that Led Zeppelin one of the biggest bands in the world before my time obviously but this band, when they were at their heyday, was like the front edge of like party and crazy and rock and roll and all that sort of shit. And now they're just relegated, sure, to classic rock radio stations, of course. But also they're just in the bargain bin radio music of like easy listening. You know? Like parents used to fu- fucking mutiny over bands like Zeppelin because it was the it was the fucking devil's music. And now it is so 
tepid. I feel like I've used that word way too many times on this podcast, but tepid and lukewarm and so blasé that you can play it on any station. You can play it at the fucking dentist's office and it's like easy listening. You know, I don't think Marilyn Manson's getting there anytime soon, but isn't it just weird that time moves on that way? And you even think, like, how big does someone have to be? How famous do you have to be before you that you could escape the trajectory of all famous people of, like, just getting forgotten about? Like, Led Zeppelin is as big as a band could ever fucking get, and yet, are they really, do they really feel relevant? You know, is there, are, do they have a meaningful in, meaningful influence on on a younger generation? Or are they just kind of forgotten about? Because, I don't know, they don't feel that relevant to me. I don't, I don't know that there's an entire younger generation of people that are being introduced to Zeppelin and, like, falling in love with them and being influenced by them. Even bands like the Beatles. I know when we talk about the Beatles, we'd like to think that they're just perennial classics and favorites. And I, you know, I think like for some people, they'll always be influential, but I I don't know that the younger generation really knows the Beatles. I mean, am I wrong? Am I just way off? There's a part of me that feels like even as an older person, I would be closer to the Beatles, but I just, I don't know that those, those things really get communicated, you know? I mean, because here's my reasoning behind this, and I've talked about this before in terms of, like, going to the video store. You know, my girlfriend and I watched that documentary, The Last Blockbuster, recently, which I think you can find on Netflix. It's very good, especially if you're from that time period and you remember what Blockbuster is. You will watch it with a lot of nostalgia, But in a way, that's exactly what I'm talking about. This idea that this behemoth of entertainment media, Blockbuster, basically took over the world for a very finite period of time is now a joke. You know, its legacy is that, you know, like that's Ozymandias sort of fucking reputation of like, look on my work, ye mighty uh, in despair. Like, it doesn't matter how big you get, you're just going to be fucking dust in the wind eventually. And, uh, wow, poignant, poetic. Um, but isn't that fucking nuts? It just makes you think, like, one, is very discouraging. Because even, like, um, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm trying to connect things together here, but it's like the Olympics. You know, I'm, I'm watching the Olympics, and you see these athletes, and it's an insane to see people as young as they are competing on the world stage and accomplishing things that you know, every year there's just world record after world record after world record is broken. And that person is now on the bubble or on the cusp of human history and accomplishment and achievement. But just wait one year and then you're in the past. You know, it's like, it only comes every four years. And so it's like, if you're, uh, you know, how many Olympic athletes are there that have a sort of enduring presence where they were at the front, like Simone Biles is somebody who, I don't know how many Olympics they've gone to where they've kind of been like a front running celebrity. And I can't even think of her name, but there was like the young white gymnast. If you said her name, I would know it, but like either the last Olympics or the one before that, she was like all over the fucking place. And now she's like, has a YouTube channel or something like that. Um, you know, Simone Biles is the is it cause celeb or whatever it is right now? But in four years, is it going to be the same or is that just going to be someone else we talk about? Because 
I remember Michael Phelps. Now, if you're younger, think about that. What does Michael, what does that name mean to you? Is that like, just like another name from the history books? Is that like O.J. Simpson? Because Michael Phelps was the number one Olympian of like all time for a while. And at the height of his fame, he was actually dating a girl at UC Berkeley, which is the college here, um, when I was working at a bar. And I actually served him. He came in the restaurant. He sat, sat in my section with his girlfriend and some other female. And it was like insane that Michael Phelps was there. And I went over and I got their order and I was sort of talking and, I, you know, I got their order or whatever. And as I'm punching the order in the computer, the doorman comes up and he says, do you know who that is? And it was only then that I thought, oh, that's Michael Phelps, isn't it? Because I'm sure on some level I recognized him, but it just didn't like click, you know? And it was only when the, the door guy was like, do you know who that is? And I was like, oh shit, that's Michael Phelps, isn't it? And I don't know what it says about me, but I'm the type of person who like, it's maybe it's me being a contrarian or whatever it is, but it's like, whatever everybody else is doing, I want to do the opposite. So it was like, my whole thing was like, I didn't want to freak out. I didn't want to treat him like a celebrity. I just wanted to fucking like be cool and like just treat him like a normal person. And so I didn't make a big deal of it at all. I made no mention of it. Meanwhile, there's like other athletes, you know, uh, college athletes who happened to be there. It was like a sports bar who were like coming up and bothering him and shit. And I was just kind of picking my moments, you know, checking on them once or twice during the meal, see if they need anything, bust their plates, get more drinks, whatever, but just trying to be as scarce as fucking possible. And it wasn't until the very end of the meal when I drop off the bill, and of course, he fucking puts his credit card down, and as I'm punching it into the computer that I look at the card, and it's because it says Michael Phelps, where it kind of hit me, where I felt kind of starstruck, you know? Bringing that check back for him to sign, I did, I felt a little bit nervous, but, um, but the point is, is that that, that was cool. But then, like, what is that dude doing now? I think I saw him on, like, a uh, um, Peloton. Is that the fucking thing? I think he's doing, like, a Peloton or a Nordic Track commercial or something like that for this Olympic cycle or whatever. But it's, like, uh, it's just insane to think that time moves on. It doesn't matter if you're young. It doesn't matter if you're old. Like, nothing can stop the fucking train of time, man. You know what I mean, dude? It's like time just like moves on. Anyway, at the core of everything I'm talking about, talking about is actually something kind of depressing. And I think I'm trying to make light of something that I actually feel, but it's like, it's like it's kind of wounding for me when I watch the Olympics and I see these young people accomplishing so much. But my mind is also in two places because as I get older, there's a part of me that's realizing we all want so very much to create something that will outlive us. And of course, uh, this is another episode where I completely circumvented this core issue that we've been talking about for the last four episodes of like wanting to create something myself that feels like my life's work or whatever. But um, whether it's part of my psyche of trying to talk myself out of doing this or just exploring my motivations behind it, which is, you know, we all want to be great. We all want to feel, you know, we're all the star of our own movie. We're all the protagonists of our own life's journey. And we want to feel like we're here for a reason or that we're doing something special or that there's a chance that we could create something that will live beyond us. And for some people, for I think for most of us, it usually becomes our family in kind of a poignant, poetic way. You know, that our legacy is our children or our family. Well, I don't really, I'm not really convinced that I'm going to have a family personally, but, um, 
you do feel like you want to create something special. And, you know, I don't want to rain on anyone's parade, but as you get older and you realize that's probably not going to happen, it's kind of sad. Because I think whether or not we admit it, and maybe maybe I can only speak from my own experience, but I think a lot of us live with that belief on some level that, you know, we're going to do something special. And I think for a lot of us, it's, there's this, it, it, it's inevitable. It's something I think we all know on some level too, but the truth is we're just kind of another person, <laughs> you know? I mean, that in a way, I'm like, as I'm recording this, looking at this new phone that I'm, uh, I bought and I happen to be doing this thing with it. But I think that's like what commercials like feed on. You know, like if we buy the right thing, if we buy the right car, if we have X number amount of money in our bank account, or, you know, that we can, that we're a part of something special or that we're building our own brand, you know, like when you look at commercials now, they don't really sell the quality of products anymore. They just sell things as part of the lifestyle of a certain type of individual. They appeal to your sense of who you're trying to be, you know, especially now, especially now with the whole, uh, you know, there's so much currency in people's worldview now. Um, you know, it's like if you're a social justice minded person, you love that. Like for a while, my girlfriend and I were watching a lot of YouTube videos where the, the only commercial we fucking saw was this Dove commercial about uh, women's body image, you know? And it's like when I was growing up, Dove made its entire fucking living with like uh, beautiful models and skincare and all that sort of shit. And now that everybody's getting all you know, social justice minded or whatever you want to call it. It's like everybody has this commercial now. That's like a, 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 a like a, like a commentary on, on, on the social system when it's like, first of all, you're all a part of that fucking system. You perpetuated it for decades and decades and decades and decades. But it's like, they're like Dove does not sell soap anymore. They sell a worldview, right? Or they purport to sell a worldview or, 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 um, or present a worldview that if you are a part of that, you buy Dove. You know, Gillette was like the fucking, you know, one of the first big examples of that, which is they take a stand or Nike takes a stand on some social issue. And it's like people get behind that, not because they give a shit about the quality of the product, but like that's what people who think like this do now. For the time being, this is the product that we're buying. And it's like, of course, at the end of the day, someone's just fucking laughing all the way to the bank. But, um... Where am I going? I oh, dude, I don't fucking know. I'm lost. I'm lost, man. Thinking of bargain bins, this is just a fucking bargain bin episode. It's just a bunch of fucking thoughts thrown together. I sat down here with not much to not really knowing what the fuck I was gonna talk about. Oh, I'm grasping at straws here. Um Anyway, I'm trying to land. I, I again, my computer is fucking dark. I don't know how much time we have left here, so maybe I'll, I'm, I'm trying to locate one more idea that I could spend a couple minutes talking about before we end here. Um, <clears throat> to summarize,
You know, the truth is there's so much I want to talk about that I, I that I haven't talked about on this podcast that I, I don't feel uh, is appropriate to talk about that's really been occupying my mind. And again, I, I feel this disconnect of, you know, I'm, I'm again thinking through that issue of like, what is something like this supposed to be? And the truth is it's not supposed to be anything, but um, even as I'm thinking of the, you know, there are people I, I know who listen to this podcast, there's more people I don't know who listen to this podcast, but it's very easy to imagine yourself doing something like having a podcast or doing a stream of consciousness thing or putting something something out there in the cosmos that is, you know, you're sort of asking people to consume and be entertained by and trying to have a clear sense of what it should be, you know? Um, I'm sort of talking in riddles here, I guess, but, um, I guess I don't have a clear sense of, you know, I sort of see this thing wrapping up and I think, well, if it does move forward, what can the next chapter of it be? Um, I don't think it can just be me sort of stream of consciousness seeing necessarily. I think, uh, well, again, I'm torn even as I'm talking about it. I think to grow, I think it needs to become something else. I think it needs to be more thought through and curated. I think that would make it more, that would make it better in some ways. But then I also think, like, who gives a shit? Again, maybe that's just my mind thinking through, like, what does it take to be successful? Maybe the whole point of this podcast is that it should be something else completely. Um, I don't know. I think I just, I feel like I'm at the end of one chapter in my life and beginning another one, and I'm just not sure what's coming. And I think one of the the disappointing things is you, you think as you get older, like you're just going to have life more and more figured out. And you certainly learn a lot. You know, you certainly learn a lot about yourself and you, you certainly feel like you're gaining something but in some ways, the mystery just deepens and deepens as well. Just something like the Tao Te Ching says, mystery upon mystery. Anyway, with that um, obtuse thought, we will wrap up this episode. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, you can on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Take a minute, rate and review us. Give us five stars. Type a couple sentences about why you like the podcast and why others might also. And if you, after I staple a burp, if you can think of one person in your life who you think would like the show, send them your favorite episode. Also, the video podcast is available now at thisismpod.com. That's thisismpod.com. You'll find the latest episode there. You can watch it on our website or click through and watch it on YouTube. Um, and also, I know that there's a repo- there's about 20... F- I don't want to say overpromise. There's about 20 episodes I think I filmed that were never made public. So I think after episode 100, I will make all those public on YouTube. Um, so all the videos that I've ever filmed will be up there. Uh, varying qualities, obviously. Um, but uh, it is what it is. So 
uh, let's wrap it. Let's wrap it up there. Um, you know, we only have a couple more weeks left together. Um, so let's try to make the most of it, shall we? Um, so until next week, thank you for listening. Thank you for your time. And ciao for now. <laughs>